as we begin, the Lord actually gave me a story, a personal testimony to give to you all. So, as I was trying, as Phil called me and asked me whether I want to MC with him, I was really stressed about the decision. Like, really, really stressed. So what they tell you when you're stressed is that you should go take a walk, right? So I go around my neighborhood, I'm taking a walk, I'm like, Lord, yes to emceeing, no to emceeing. Yes to emceeing, no to emceeing. And what God gave me was actually not a yes or a no, but an answer to a decade-long question I've had. The Lord brought to me, to me, as I was walking, to my mind, a quote from a pastor. And what he said was, as you get older, the highs get higher, the lows get lower. But what's really hard is when they happen at the same time. <laughs> so I realized there was one day every year that this collision happens for me. On June 8, 1992, on the way to youth camp, a cement truck hit our church van. It was a tragic accident. Five people passed away, and the rest of us ended up in ERs, ranging from minor scrapes to head surgery, first-degree burns all over our legs. So you fast forward 14 years. On June 6, 2006, I start labor. And out of my vanity, I asked the Lord, please do not let my firstborn child be born on 6606. So the Lord answered my prayer, and after 40 hours of labor, <laughs> my son was born two days later on June 8th, 2006. Be careful what you pray for, my friends. But what I did not realize at that time was that was the exact date of that tragic accident. So every year on June 8th, I start the morning out grieving. Grieving with my friends, recalling story of post-traumatic stress, of almost flunking out of college because of survivor's guilt, of all the injuries that still plague some of my friends today. And I grieve with the parents of those children who are 17 who passed away, parents who even 20 years later at the memorial couldn't show up because the grief was so heavy. But later on that day, I throw an awesome party, right? Extravagant party. One year we had a pool party, Star Wars pool party with Darth Vader and lightsabers the next year. I turned my house into Hogwarts. <laughs> and dad got to dress up as Snape, and we had potions classes. And one year, we had a Chuck E. Cheese. We were moving that year. <laughs> but every year, every year, I've always asked the Lord, why? Why are they on the same day? Right? It's, it just feels awkward. It feels like I'm doing neither well. I'm fe it feels like I'm being disingenuous in mourning when I have a party planned later. It feels disingenuous to be at the party on, on, such, a, on such a day. And so it's awkward, it's uncomfortable, it's, and I kept asking the Lord why. 
And it was only in deciding to MC this conference did he give me the answer, right? It is actually a gift to our conference, a gift to our organization. This year, there's been a lot of highs, right? Tom Lin recorded them. So many exciting things. You might have been able to see new life this year. But this year also felt like a cement truck hit us. And this conference might be feeling, it might feel a little like that, right? Where it's like one, one moment we're celebrating, one moment with lamenting. But what the Lord gave to me that maybe that passage to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn to, with those who mourn are not separate events. Maybe we're supposed to do them at the same time. So this is my gift to you um, to even think about, like, what does it mean to have both happen? That it will happen in our lives, that both there will be high highs, low lows, and they will collide. And, and how do we press into the dissonance when that happens? How do we hear the Lord during those moments? How do we enter into both deeply and fully? And I also realized that this is a parable of the already but not yet, right? Of that yearning. And so for us today, I pray that when the dissonance hits, that we will listen to the Lord. We would press into both. And, we would re and when the waves come, we would keep our eyes on Jesus. Amen. Amen. The presidents of the Manhattan School of Music James Gandry envisions a conservatory that nurtures the talents and unique qualities of new generations of musicians, artistic leaders, and above all, well-rounded human beings. I love the Manhattan School of Music because they are interested in developing well-rounded human beings. However, for over 25 years, there were no opportunities for students to grow spiritually at the Manhattan School of Music. You see, in the 1990s, an aggressive religious group was disrupting academic activities. As a result, MSM banned all religious groups on campus. For decades, students at MSM have prayed for reconciliation with the administration. In the fall of 2014, I started a small group as a graduate student. I had very low expectations. I was new to campus frustrated at God, and discouraged about leadership. Furthermore, I didn't believe that people were curious about Jesus. I was right. Week after week, only one or two people showed up, and leading was a burden. At the winter leaders' retreat, Tim, our staff worker, painted a picture of evangelism as an opportunity to meet with Jesus. By the end of the retreat, we were excited to invite our friends. So two weeks later, I invited 25 people to the first small group of the semester, more people than I had ever invited in my life. 11 people said yes, and one person showed up. <laughs> I felt like a failure. And when I told Tim, his reaction was unexpected. Congratulations! I love the risk that you took. Let's celebrate. I was so confused. <laughs> Only one person came. What is there to celebrate? But celebrate we did. 
And that's when we realized as a chapter that God was calling us to find people curious about Jesus and then invite them. You see, that was incredibly liberating because there are 900 students on our campus, so there were surely at least 100 people curious about Jesus. Our job was to find and invite them. So we invited more and more people each week. Uh, We wanted to find the 100. We invited 30, and then the next week, 40, and then even 75 people to a single small group meeting. At a certain point, we realized that if there are 100 people on our campus who are curious about Jesus, then we needed to invite at least 100 people to a small group meeting. So by the end of the semester, uh, we had talked to 10% of our campus, and our chapter had doubled in size. The Holy Spirit was at work. I had proved myself wrong because we found that people were curious about Jesus. We were now the largest student group at MSM. However, we were still unable to meet officially on campus. This was especially frustrating to my friend Daniela, a violinist from Venezuela, because she longed for every person at MSM to have the same opportunity she did, the opportunity to meet Jesus. So Daniela prayed and looked for opportunities. She was the first to sign up for the president's ice cream socials She took notes on his vision for the school and even arranged personal office visits. One day, Daniela asked President Gandry if we could share more about our meaningful experiences with InterVarsity. He said yes. We had a 20-minute time slot, but we were nervous and afraid. We knew the history of the school. We knew he was not particularly religious. So how much information should we share about InterVarsity? Can we? ask for change? The time came, and we filed into his large boardroom, um, where he greeted us cheerfully. He was very excited to meet us. We each recounted our favorite moments from the semester, and as the conversation was drawing to a close, a fellow leader took a risk and asked, President Gandry, would you mind if we prayed for you? Most of us froze. (laughs) He replied, you want to pray for me? No one has ever asked to pray for me before. Of course, I would love to receive prayer. We prayed, and after we prayed, his eyes looked a little teary, and he said, thank you for your prayers. I've never had such a positive interaction with students before. This was such a blessing. We left not sure what would come of our meeting. A few months later, Student Life sends us an email saying, The rules on religious school groups have changed. And we would like to invite InterVarsity to become the first Christian student group on campus. We were quickly approved. Student Life even helped us publicize our first outreach event with giant colorful posters around the lobby and dozens of balloons with event tags. Everyone knew that we were here. When we share with alumni about MSM today, they are shocked at the administration's openness to InterVarsity. You see, MSM is being renewed before our very eyes. Students and faculty are being transformed. May we continue to see new generations of musicians become not only well-rounded human beings, 
but world changers who offer the opportunity of a lifetime, the opportunity to meet with Jesus. My freshman roommate and I attended an InterVarsity welcome barbecue for the volleyball, the food, and to make new friends. We found so much more. We entered a community of love, grace, and joy. IV became our home for four years, and where I met my eventual wife, as she and I got to know each other through various IV leadership roles. Like many undergraduates, I felt a constant tension between extending selfless, countercultural love to my fellow students and honoring God through academic excellence and learning. As a graduate student at Urbana 2000, I felt a calling from God. Through participating in a faculty-led manuscript study, whoa, Christian professors at a missions conference? And reading John Alexander's Faculty Salt, a guide for Christian faculty and graduate students. You can find it online in the staff store. <laughs> God gave me a vision of being a distinctly Christian professor at a secular college and on the same campus as my InterVarsity staff wife. That dream was realized five years later and has been a wonderful partnership as a faculty and campus minister team. That's a dating tip for any single uh, university staff out there, look for a missional faculty member who's also single. <laughs> now, even if you're not looking for that kind of a partner, staff who want to have a long-term impact on their campus will involve faculty in their ministry. Campus, uh, campus staff average around five years on campus, whereas faculty might be there for, say, 20 or 30 years. In fact, my friend Steve Davis has taught philosophy for 45 years, and for 40 of those years, he has led a regular prayer group at 7 a.m. on Fridays in a classroom on campus. They've been praying for Christian faculty. They did not see God answering those prayers during the first 10 or 20 years. But they kept praying, encouraged by each other's fellowship, in the past two decades, they've seen abundant answers to those prayers. When they started in 1977, they knew about seven Christian faculty on campus. Now, they know over 70. And we have a robust group of Christian scholars that meets regularly over lunch on Tuesdays, <clears throat> even though that prayer group itself is still small. We share testimonies and academic talks, growing our hearts and our minds for God's work on campus. Some of us were already Christians when we were hired as faculty, but other friends of mine, such as education professor Mary Poplin and engineering professor Chi Min Yang, became Christians as tenured professors on campus. Yes, God can do this, and he has. Sadly, Faculty rarely have a rich community of other Christian faculty on their campus for mutual support, challenge, and partnership. Most Christian faculty struggle with loneliness, not being fully embraced in their church or on campus. We're busy with teaching, research, and committees. We have colleagues in campuses that are indifferent or hostile to the gospel message. 
For the past 12 years, I have benefited from having my close friend and math professor, Francis Sue, as my prayer partner. We have encouraged and challenged each other in faithful steps that neither of us would likely have taken alone. And we can have long-term influence. For example, I've been on search committees for college chaplains who could be important advocates for InterVarsity on campus. I have also been in key meetings with deans to defend InterVarsity's theology and presence on campus. I have seen firsthand how faculty and administrator allies can help us be a redeeming influence among the people, ideas, and structures of academia. A faculty friend said, if we want students to be able to live out their faith openly, faculty should lead the way as examples. Now, we faculty struggle to witness on our own, but it's easier with InterVarsity staff partners. For example, staff can invite us to be speakers at an outreach event or on a faculty of faith panel. We can point our spiritually curious students to check out an Ivy uh, small group or God investigation group. Two of my students became Christians in exactly this way. When I pointed them as seekers to InterVarsity and the student groups led them to faith and discipleship. And now both of them want to become Christian professors themselves. Do you know the Christian faculty on your campus? Imagine befriending them and building up mutual trust with them. Then invite them to partner with you in doing kingdom work on campus. Commission them at one of your meetings to be salt and light on your campus. We faculty might, on average, be older, more academic, and more introverted than you. <laughs> but we will become less intimidating as you get to know us. I challenge you to befriend one missional faculty member on your campus this month. And then tell me, you can email me, 12 months later and tell me what fruit has come from that in your life, in the professor's life, and in God's work on campus. I bet God has a surprise for you. InterVarsity staff, I thank you for your faithful work among our students on campus. Will you do the same for our faculty on campus? My faculty colleagues and I are praying that you will. <laughs>